Good evening, Anchorage, Alaska, the lower 48, and the rest of the world. This is Bruce Lindquist with his podcast, Wonderful Counselor. The title of this mini-series is The Preacher's Kid That Fought Like the Devil. If you haven't listened to episode 1, The Prayer, through episode 10, Blood for Blood, I encourage you to do so. Now, it's time for tonight's episode. If you listened to the last podcast, the horrors of those events are now in the past. Nobody hanging on the rope off the banks of the Chickasaw Bug Creek Last Chance Bridge. No dismembered corpse looking at you through hollow eyes in the woods that the birds were feasting on. And the blood from those massacred on the mountain, it has returned to the earth, leaving stained white sheets and decomposed bodies. Welcome to episode 11, titled Ghost Town, where the dead are starting to outnumber the living. Chief Jack Goodman called in the police officers from various counties for bag and tag duty. The chief has seen his share of death in 30 years, but not at this scale. He even had to call in the feds. The official tally was 112 dead. The feds concluded after their investigation, the only plausible theory was for some unknown reason, these men turned on each other like sharks in a frenzy at the sight of fresh blood in the water and hacked each other to pieces with sharp knives. The feds have seen this happen before with drug gangs and the KKK was a gang. The scene, however, looked more like an Inca sacrifice to the sun god than it did to any criminal investigation. The townspeople were waiting for the bodies to come down from the mountains, and they were not abiding the official word. Something happened on that mountain, and what killed all of them was not human. The stories going around town were like the tales from a campfire that adults would scare kids with before they crawled into their sleeping bags at night. Words like boogeyman, aliens, demonic, the mythological creature from the deep, dark, terrifying woods filled the air. Jack knew what happened, but it was too fantastical to believe that Dragon's Fire had possessed Russ and he became an inhuman demonic monster. The townsfolks didn't know what they did to bring this curse upon themselves, but after the fire burned half the town, the serial killer murders, and now what they're calling Blood Mountain because of all the bodies, they were looking to the skies to see if a meteor was going to burn them alive or look down at their pets with suspicion that they would become possessed and hunt them down for not giving them their dinner on time or opening the door fast enough so they could go outside and pee. Then the bodies came off the mountains, trucks full of them lined up at the local corner office, like a convoy of the dead. Emergency measures were put in place as the risk of disease from the corpses was given high because of weather conditions. Autopsies were brief, Knife wounds caused the death. Identification made. Relatives notified. Then bodies cremated. Then the urns were prepared and given to the loved ones. This was the time lengthy process, the identification. For those loved ones, this was the hardest part, waiting for their husbands, sons, or brothers. Would they be among the dead, or would they be coming home? Long before the bodies were identified, wives and other family members and friends were hoping for the late arrival back home meant because they tied one on and sleeping it off, or their vehicles had broke down. 
The worst part was the waiting. Lights were left on at night like beacons, calling them safely home. Prayers were even offered up by atheists. To some relief, some of the men did come home. Wives were never more glad to see hungover husbands in their lives. But walking through town, it became obvious who was not there. Many politicians and police officers, a few judges, local businessmen, some pastors, the entire gas station staff, stores, markets, mostly empty, and some farmers and teachers in school. It seemed the dead came from all walks of life, and they were united in their hatred for black people. As their bodies were identified, sure enough, so many prominent, well-respected men had been part of the KKK and went from being wrapped in their robes and hood to being burned and earned. For May, the wife of the local mayor, it was just too much, since she lost her husband and a son on that mountain. Although she hated alcohol, even the smell of it, she plugged her nose and started drinking from a fifth. She drove her car up what was now called Blood Mountain and weaved up the treacherous road and stopped at the peak of the mountain. She looked at the yellow tape blocking the crime scene. She got out of her car, pushed her way through the tape, and walked in where the massacre took place. She sat in the outline of the bodies and just kept drinking. She finished the bottle and left it there and got in her car to drive home. Her tears flooded her eyes more than a torrential downpour of rain, and combined with the effects of the whiskey, she didn't see the turn in the road, and her car flew off the mountain, crashing on the forest floor below, bursting into flames. The liquor store owner took advantage of people's pain and kept the store open 24 hours a day and jacked up the prices. He was the most prosperous business in town. So many were trying to drown their sorrows away, and instead, some didn't wake up, and they joined their loved ones in death's arms. Terry, who was now a widow of 40 years of marriage, to that gas station owner attendant, lost seven. She decided to take a 45 and play Russian roulette with each shot. She loaded another round in the chamber, and by the time the bottle was empty, she lay in a pool of her own blood. The pastor's wife named Vicky also lost her husband, a brother, ushers, and so many members of their church. She sat with all the grieving wives. She was determined not to lose another one to suicide. She went from house to house, meeting with families. She had to try to at least stop the bleeding. She comforted their children, and after memorial service, she had a service for all those who were grieving. Vicky from the pulpit addressed the community. I come to you not as just your pastor's wife, but as a wife and mother who also has experienced loss that seems unbearable. As you know, some women have taken their own lives in grief. I'm here to share with you there's another way. I know it seems like our town is cursed and you hurt beyond imagination and you do not know how you will go on living. The answer isn't in the bottle, but in the book, the Bible. You have a choice to make, and I cannot do it for you. You can let Satan win, and let your would-haves and could-haves and might-have-beens haunt you for the rest of your life, and rage against God at your departed loved ones and yourself, causing bitterness and hatred. But you have seen where that hatred leads, and that is to more death. For there is no torment, and hell hath no more fury than self-condemnation.
How one deals with grief and loss either creates a monster that carries with it a tsunami of emotion, which if it goes unbated destroys all in its path, as hurt people hurt people. Haven't we learned that lesson enough? Or we can feel and heal in the community with each other, on that the wave of our pain come crashing against the cross of Christ like thunder, who will not leave or forsake us, who does not condemn us, and who will walk through us in our pain and those hard questions with his Holy Spirit and truth of his word, who is the only one who is able to take that level of pain and condemnation and bring peace to your and my tortured soul. The hatred that possessed and killed our men must stop now, or it will infect our children and their children. It is time to renounce our covenant with hate and be a church that does not, is not known for its secret KKK society, but a body of Christ that loves like Jesus does. Now the reaction with these ladies and their children was one you would expect. Some were ready to receive the Holy Spirit when it fell. They broke their agreement with hate through the blood and broken body of Christ. Not all, however, were ready to let go of their agreement, and dragon's fire still burned deeply in them. And they went away, carrying with them their darkness and hate. Vicky would continue to minister to those, and each night, instead of staying in her empty house, she would have dinner with these widows and, her, and their children. And as a result, under Blood Mountain and all the carnage, over time, many of these women and children's lives did heal. Vicky knew it was time to take a drive into the country, and Grandpa the old preacher welcomed her. How do we bring this community together, she asked him. There's still so much hate. Grandpa responded, Sounds like you made some really good progress trusting the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry, she said. What these evil men did to all of you, I'm as guilty as the rest of them. The old preacher's eyes softened. Vicky, your words bring healing to an old man's heart he said. I would like you to join us tomorrow for a family memorial. It's at 6 a.m., and we do this every year. Vicki shared she would be honored, and if it would be okay for her to bring some of the ladies from the church, if they were ready. And the old pastor said, all are welcome. That morning, the cross glittered brightly in the yard as Vicki picked up a few ladies and children who were ready. Some of the ladies, one, was Wade's wife, Lily, and her daughter, Sarah, and Russ's wife, Tiffany. Joe from the hardware store also got word of the memorial. That morning, as the sun was just starting to rise, there was the largest crowd for this memorial that Grandpa had ever seen. They all walked over to the makeshift gravesite. Grandpa, why do we celebrate the dead, asked Big Bo, who was 10 years old and he could easily be mistaken for a high school because of how he towered over the other kids his age, and he was strong as an ox. And what happened to your brother, asked Rake, who was seven. And why today, asked Jose, who was five. A Don, Nevette, and the boy's adoptive parents also chimed in with their curiosity. Of course, the conversation wouldn't be complete without Shadow, the trusty black lab, and Sadie, the beautiful golden brown-haired lab, as they were an inseparable pair. And then Maggie, also Joe's lab, was there as well. All of them had come to pay respects, bringing with them flowers freshly killed, ironically, to honor the dead. Grandpa paused between memories. 
He said, looking at the family, all those that were in attendance, my brother Jamal was just 19, and he was a good man. He worked hard, loved God and country. He joined the Marines in World War II in Normandy, France, on the 6th of June, 1944. 29,000 were killed, and 106,000 wounded or missing. Jamal never came home, so we have a marker honoring him. To answer your questions, we honor our heroes because without them, we would not have a country. It is the anniversary of the day we were notified that he was missing in action, is why we celebrate today. You see, we don't just honor him, but all those who sacrificed their lives and didn't come home. Why fight wars, Grandpa, said Jos. Because, said Grandpa, if good men and women do nothing, evil prevails. He is a family hero, and so are all of them. What about the other grave, Grandpa? This is my older brother, Caleb. He also went missing. He was 16. We never found his body, although way before he died convinced that he lynched my brother, and I forgave him. You see the same hatred which Nazi Germany stood for, that same self-righteousness that justified the massacre of six million Jews is the same hatred my brother stood against. He devoted his short life to bring the gospel to people who hated him because of his color. The same hatred destroyed all those on Blood Mountain, and the aftershock is still taking people's lives in our community. We have two choices, to hate or to heal. This place does not have to be a ghost town, because Christ died and rose from the grave. So we who have faith and believe in him are not wearing grave clothes. It's time for our community to come back to life. It will only happen if we leave everything at the cross and let Jesus heal us. You're still going to hurt, but instead of open wounds, you will have scars, and God will use you to restore this community. Those in attendance honored the fallen men and went back to the cross and committed to battle with love the hated, the hated hatred of dragon's fire, and now more of the black and white community began the process of healing. It was time to rebuild. It was time to come back to life. I wrote this episode to honor those who are missing from combat all the wars. It's Memorial Day, 2023, and on May 1st, 1865, in Charleston, South Carolina, the recently freed black population held a parade of 10,000 people to honor the 257 dead Union soldiers who died in a Confederate prison camp. It is the memory of those that are missing and those who gave their lives for freedom that this podcast honors today. I also want to say a word that um, this podcast also honors those families that um, have lost loved ones who gave their uh, ultimate sacrifice for our nation. Gratitude cannot even begin to describe their sacrifice. And my heart goes out to you today on Memorial Day, to you and your children. And may the Lord comfort you and bring you his peace. And may you experience healing. And may God use you mightily to bring his message of love to a world that's dying in hatred. Join me next week for episode 12 of Wonderful Counselor Podcast, and have a blessed Memorial Day weekend.